When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your, for your house will consume me. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tim. Ursula is going to come in to speak to us now. I'll just pray for you before you... Father, I pray for Ursula as she speaks and for us as we listen. Lord, would you help us to hear the words that you have to say through Ursula this morning. Amen. Good morning. Have I got the mic in the right place? Thank you. I think the ministry that the McClure's have is so important. And I wish they'd been around when I went up to college, and you'll hear why now. When I first went to university, I went to Freshers' Week, and I went to the Christian Union stand, thinking that I would get a really warm welcome. But what happened was very different. A overwhelmingly confident girl who had lots of horses, I remember, so you can imagine the whip, (laughs) was chairman of the Christian Union. When I asked her how I joined, she said, oh, we don't talk about membership. You have to be interviewed by the committee, and you have to have a reference from your vicar, and then you have to come to meetings for a term, and then the committee might consider you for membership. And by the way, you can't come to all of our meetings because some of them are for members only. I fled and I joined the Madrigal Choir instead. The place which should have been open and welcoming was an unwelcoming locked gateway with a large no entry sign. Thank God that Christian unions aren't like that now. And thank God that when I joined the Madrigal Choir, I was put next to the chaplain (laughs) of the local Anglican church, (laughs) where they had a student pub in their crypt. So that was where I went. But at the temple, the sellers and moneylenders had set up shop in the court of the Gentiles, the only place where the people who weren't Jews could go to pray. The court was separated from the inner courts by a wall, 
topped with pillars with warnings written on Greek, written in Greek on them. Archaeologists have recently uncovered one of these pillars and on it it says a warning to Gentiles who pass through that wall into the inner courts. It said they would face death. Jesus broke through that wall for us. He faced death for us. And for those who could pass on into the inner courts of the temple, they first had to run the gauntlet of the traders and money changers in the Gentile court. Encouraged and supported by unscrupulous dealers, by leaders, by those with power. It was the newcomer, the poor, the vulnerable, the stranger and the Gentile that were abused or excluded. But Jesus challenged all that. He knew what was in the people's hearts, just as he knows what's in our hearts. He saw the people bound up in routines and rituals, in the rules and regulations imposed by the leaders of the temple. That if they performed in a particular way, if they followed the rituals correctly, then their outward performance would lead to an inward knowledge of God. The message was get the ritual right and then your relationship with God will be right. But that's not how it works. Herod the Great in 20 BC decided to rebuild the temple. He wanted to earn favour with the Jews because he was an outcast, a descendant of the Edomites. He consecrated a thousand priests to be trained as stonecutters so the building would be ceremonially pure. 18,000 people worked full-time for many years to build the temple. It wasn't completed till 64 AD, and it was destroyed by the Romans six years later. We can't buy God's favour. Matthew 7, 24 to 27 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Sometimes, It's so much easier to connect with an organisation and to feel secure in our man-made structures than to live by faith. But unless we build on the foundation of our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we will fail. Jesus was not only driving out the traders and the money changers, he was challenging their whole system of sacrifice. He was challenging all they were familiar with their whole system of worship would be destroyed so a new one could take its place. Jesus' actions at the temple that day were prophetic. There would be a new sacrifice, a new temple, a new covenant, a new priesthood. His own death and the destruction of the temple would now be linked. Jesus was making possible a far more direct approach to God because he was a pure offering a sacrifice, a sacrifice of worship, his own body sacrificed on the cross. His death 
and his resurrection would make possible the emergence of a new spiritual temple. 1 Peter 2 verse 5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are now living stones in this new temple as part of the body of Christ, built on the bedrock of Jesus' work for us on the cross. Jesus says that God's house is a house of prayer for all nations, but the Gentiles were excluded from the temple. They couldn't offer what were deemed to be the appropriate sacrifices. Their court, where they were allowed to pray, was being used as a market. They were ritually unclean, and they would never be welcomed into God's house. There was no place for them. But when Jesus opened wide his arms on the cross, it was to embrace all people who would turn to him, and not just a select few. All would be cleansed. All would be forgiven. The curtain in the temple being torn in two at his death was the sign that God's love was being made available to all. That all of us would be able to approach God, come to the Holy of Holies. We don't need to belong to a special tribe. Access to God is available to all who believe because of the death of Jesus on the cross. But what about us? Do we put barriers in the way which stop people from approaching God and experiencing his love? I, um, rather sadly, I think, um, enjoy church history. And if I go somewhere where I know there's something interesting, I'll quite often try to, to go to the churches and have a look. But actually, quite often they're locked and the fact that churches are so often locked is a, is a pretty definite barrier and a very clear negative statement about our Christian faith and the life of the church. Now, I know there are reasons why they have to be locked, but sometimes the locked door expresses the attitude of the people within. Keep out. This is our club. No boats rocked here. What a difference it could make to individual lives if our churches were once again places of sanctuary, of healing, of forgiveness, of prayer, open to all. But there are other, more subtle barriers, which may well be invisible to us, but which can be an insurmountable barrier to many. Um, For a long time I've been learning Welsh, and I'm not nearly as fluent at it as I should be, mainly because I don't do my homework. But then I didn't do it at school, so I don't see why I should do it now. (laughs) Last summer, I went to the National Welsh Eisteddfod at Wrexham. This is the one where, once you get to the car park, there's no English allowed. Everything is in Welsh. Because I've been learning for a bit, I can understand a bit. So I decided to sit with the Welsh speakers rather than have a headphone translation in the section reserved for the foreigners. That's us, the English. There were lots of things that were said from the platform that I couldn't even begin to understand. The in-jokes, the announcements, when to stand up. I just about managed when to sit down. I could understand that. I did my best and followed the crowd. 
but essentially I was an outsider in a foreign land. Even though it's only 30 miles away, it felt like another planet. But coming into church, not knowing anyone, not knowing where to sit, not knowing when to stand, not knowing what book to use, not knowing the hymns, not knowing the words, not knowing how many times to sing the chorus, can be an insurmountable barrier. Would you be brave enough to go somewhere so unfamiliar? Are we prepared to be uncomfortable, to change the way we do things so that newcomers can feel welcome? I think the folk who welcome us at the door have a a really difficult task. They have to be so on the ball spiritually, so discerning. Someone will come up the path hoping there'll be a warm welcome, someone to talk to, to show them to their seat, introduce them to others. But then the next person might be hoping they can slide in unnoticed, wanting to be alone with their thoughts. We really need to pray for them. The way we welcome people build relationships in our church, build relationships in our wider community is so important and is one of the biggest influences on how people will view our worship and the Christian faith that we practice and proclaim. The uneasy picture of Jesus that we read about today raises some important issues for us. Can we say that our church is truly a place of prayer for everyone? We may like to think it is, but is it? It's an uncomfortable picture of Jesus. Traditionally, we're told that he acted in righteous anger in the temple courtyard. But how do we feel about being challenged by Jesus when he asks us how we have used the talents and gifts he's given us? What about the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, disciples of our friends, or of our neighbours? This account asks some uncomfortable questions of us. And how do we respond to him? The season of Lent is not about being comfortable. It's about making that journey within, to search our hearts in the presence of our God, and then to look outwards, to offer his salvation and his hope to those around us. We sang, break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. Can we be brave enough to pray that prayer? Amen.